welcome to SW The Pulse podcast. I'm Cherry Reynard and I'm here with Daniel Casali, Chief Investment Strategist here at Smith & Williamson. In this episode, we'll be discussing the year ahead. Now, 2019 was a buoyant year for most equity and fixed income markets. Um, perhaps surprisingly, actually, given the mood at the beginning of um, the, the beginning of the year. But what were the dra- main drivers of this success? Well, firstly, let's look at 2019. Uh, in terms of the performance, global equities were up 27%. And you wouldn't have guessed that if you looked at the earnings, because earnings steadily decelerated throughout that year. And in fact, there was virtually no earnings growth at all in 2019. The key driver was the Federal Reserve and other major central banks. By loosening in terms of interest rates, by increasing the size of their balance sheets and reversing the tightening policies that we saw at the back end of 2018, these were the key market drivers going into 2019. Plus, it's also worth bearing in mind uh, that the trade protections and rhetoric that started off in 2018 and continued into early 2019, towards the back end of 2019, we saw uh, that President Trump has dialed back some of that trade protection rhetoric and indeed we might get uh, a trade deal signed with China, at least the first phase, uh, sometime this month. Okay. And um, as we're looking forward to 2020, it's we've had a 10-year bull run in Equity markets and fixed income markets have been very strong as well. Um, it raises the bar somewhat for performance in the year ahead. So, what are your what are your sort of big picture thoughts on the year? I mean, particularly things like the trade war and whether a recession is likely. Well, again, I think you have to look back in the last ten years. I mean, the key outperforming equity market has been the U.S. It's simply outperformed all other markets put together. And for the US to continue to outperform in this next decade, it's going to be pretty difficult, also considering that its valuations uh, are at a premium compared to the other markets. So this is where we have to look at at the other markets. And I think uh, this year we should start to see a catch-up in the rest of the world, and particularly uh, markets like the UK, for example, Europe and uh, Japan and the emerging markets. And that's simply because that the economic growth premium that US had over the rest of the world uh, is disappearing. So for example, I'll give you some numbers. If you looked at nominal GDP in the US, it grew by 4% per annum uh, throughout the the last decade, as against 2.7%, for example, uh, for the rest of the world. Um, That's likely to be dissipate to virtually nothing in terms of the outlook over the next couple of years. And I think uh, when we look back at this, uh, we can see that it's the economic growth that from the rest of the world that catches up to the US that's going to be driving the earnings in these countries so much so that we probably expect higher earnings growth in the rest of the world over the US and that's why we like uh, the rest of the world relatively to the US. I guess the US has also been driven by these big tech stocks you know Apple saw huge share price appreciation in 2019 despite relatively lacklustre earnings growth Mm -hmm. and that seems to be a function of a lot of passive money and things like that and I mean that should correct as well. Uh, Well again looking at what was driving that all roads lead to the Federal Reserve again. Uh, When we had turning points in terms of policy coming from the Fed when they start to become more dovish this was at the start of January in the middle of June ahead of interest rate cuts at the end of July 
and also on the 11th of October when they start to buy uh, 60 billion a month in T-bill purchases. That's when a lot of the gains were made for these so-called FANG stocks. Uh, just for the listeners, when we talk about the FANGs, we're talking about Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft and Google. Uh, that's when they make, made their big gains. It's when there was a uh, changing in terms of policy coming from the Fed. And uh, looking forward, are we likely to see uh, the Fed uh, becoming just as dovish? Probably not. They'll probably keep rates on hold. And in terms of their asset purchases, it's unlikely to incrementally increase them unless there's a down, real sharp downturn in growth. So I think given that we've had this low-hanging fruit where the FANGs made big gains in 2019, to expect them to make other big gains in 2020 uh, is a very high bar to ask. Mm -hmm. And just to be clear, you're not expecting any big deceleration in US growth or no, expecting I, them to avoid recession? Yeah. No, our base case is that the US continues to motor on uh, around 2% real GDP mm -hmm. growth, so we're still far away from a recession. But I think that's just some of these FANG stocks have run very, very hard. So it might be a more, much more prudent uh, in terms of asset allocation to move a little bit away from these stocks that have done very, very well and valuations have got a bit more rich and move to countries uh, like the rest of the world where we think that actually there's room for them to catch up to the growth rate of the US. Okay. And I mean, you mentioned the UK. We have a shiny new government, depending on your yes. view, but uh, at least, you know, a definitive majority and a way forward. Um, do you think there are opportunities there? I mean, the UK has been very unloved. Yes. I mean... I think the key turning point for the UK was obviously the 13th of December when we had the election results. And that's when they ended the risk that we'd get a far-left Labour-led government under Jeremy Corbyn. So now we have the next five years, which is likely to be Tory, uh, unless there's a shortened uh, uh, government there. Uh, and that takes away that risk or the discount that was placed in UK valuations where overseas were invest investors were concerned about the left-wing policies coming from Labour. Now, what does that mean for the UK? Well, it's constructive because all of that pent-up demand uh, that, was, that wasn't there before the election is now likely to come through. And through that rising confidence that we'd expect from businesses and also consumers, we think that that's going to be a very important driver of domestic growth. On top of that, we'll get a clearer message from the government on the 11th of March, where Chancellor Javid will present its first budget and within that, we'd probably expect to see much more government spending, particularly up north, potentially even having some stamp duty cuts to revive the property market or raising thresholds. But either way, we'd likely to see an improving growth prospect in the UK. So that means the UK, in terms of some of the domestic stocks, which have been bombed out uh, because of the concerns about Corbyn and domestic growth, are likely to get some new life. I would expect the domestic stocks in the UK to outperform their international peers. Okay. And um, um, what about Europe? Um, I mean, obviously, the UK has some pretty tricky negotiations ahead with Europe, but, and in the meantime, the Eurozone economy has been pretty dismal for much of the year as well, but obviously the, the economy and the stock market are not the same thing, so sure. um, do you see any opportunities there? Yeah, I think... If you were to look at a mirror image of growth, Eurozone is likely to uh, grow much more strongly than it did in uh, 2019. Remember, 2019, the Eurozone 
was affected uh, quite severely by the trade protectionism rhetoric uh, coming from President Trump and that affected big exporting powerhouses like Germany which dragged down the overall Eurozone growth. In that time period we've seen increasing stimulus coming from the ECB and that's led to a big pickup in uh, lead indicators like narrow money supply growth. And what we think is that tends to lead economic growth. So provided President Trump doesn't double down on trade protections and rhetoric and go after, say, for example, the European auto manufacturers, we think that we should start to see not quite a V-shaped recovery in growth, but certainly a pickup in growth and more of a growth pickup with the US. Okay. And I mean, President Trump has an election to win, so... Yes, that, that's correct. <laughs> yeah, I think it, 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 trying to predict what President Trump will do is obviously a fool's game. But for him, the last thing he wants is in a presidential election year to introduce any sort of policies and trade protections and that could undermine his chances of getting re-elected. And indeed, we've seen some of the key states win to win, like Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania or Michigan. These uh, states have been affected by some of the sanctions that the Chinese have done, for example. Uh, they introduced um, policies that would go after some of the soybean farmers in Wisconsin and some of the auto companies in Michigan. So it makes sense for President Trump not to double down on trade protectionism and actually roll back. Indeed, that seems to be where we're moving towards. Yeah, okay. Um, now, the other area uh, that you talked about in your investment outlook was um, global emerging markets. And these have been sort of surprisingly unloved, you'd have thought, because there's still some decent growth coming out of specific emerging markets anyway. Um, what are you seeing there? Yeah, it's worth looking back in 2019. Emerging markets, and we're really talking about Asia, which is the bulk of emerging markets, were hit by a double whammy. One was the trade protections and rhetoric, and two was the unrest we saw in Hong Kong. Looking forward, as we said, we, our base case view is that the trade protection rhetoric from President Trump will be dialed down. The protesters in Hong Kong, that's another unknown. But what we can say fundamentally is if we look at the earnings growth by the consensus, they expect earnings growth of 15% for emerging markets as a whole. That's the highest out of all the other major regions. The other key positive or tailwind for emerging markets would be that if the dollar starts to weaken, which is our base case view, judging by the fact that the current account deficit still remains widening, it's widening in the US, uh, we think that uh, any dollar downside will give a fill up for emerging market equities. They tend to move inverse to each other. Uh, if that's the case, then emerging markets, after underperforming uh, other developed markets last year, could be the outperformers this year. Okay, great. Okay, thank you for those insights into Pleasure. 2020. Uh, that concludes our episode today. Um, thank you, Daniel, and also thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Um, all references and links we've talked about in this episode can be found in the episode show notes. Uh, subscribe to our show if you haven't done so already and rate us, review us in the App Store. Until next time. This S&W The Pulse podcast is of general nature and is not a substitute for professional advice. No responsibility can be accepted for the consequences of any action taken or refrained from as a result of what is said. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the presenter or of Smith & Williamson or any of its affiliates. No reproduction of this podcast may be made in whole or in part for professional or recreational purposes. No action should be taken based on this podcast and we accept no liability if we change your views on any of the subjects mentioned.
Smith & Williamson Investment Management LLP, authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, registered number 580531.